You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. I am your host, Tim, and thank you for plugging in. Whether you're on your commute or washing the dishes, I am glad you are here this week because we have a ton of content to get through from this week in Nerd. And guys, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump straight into it. The first trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem dropped this week. A very surprise trailer drop. And I gotta say, my first opinion of this is hell yeah. I gotta admit, the art threw me off at first. It is hyper stylized, but after one or two trailer watches, I really got into the new look for the turtles. This is super cool and unique. It kind of makes it stand out from every other iteration that has been produced in this TMNT world. I love the cast here, especially the turtles going younger with not only the voices, but the look getting and really embracing that teenage piece of TMNT. This looks like an absolute riot. They are fully embracing this multi-prong approach of appealing to both children adults and also fans of those 1980s cartoons i think it's trying to bring everyone together from the crazy mind of seth rogan the perpetual teenager or the permanent teenager how they frame him up there you can see his dna his fingerprints on this version of tmnt and it was something that i wasn't overly excited for i love the franchise i love the turtles but that's a lot of nostalgia built into that, to the 90s movie, to the 80s shows. And I haven't really gotten into any of the more recent cartoons, although hearing good things about them. Animation just isn't really my jam inside of the nerd space. But this really hooked me in. And I think it's going to be a great showing and a great reintroduction of the Turtles to a brand new generation. The cast list on this is also phenomenal, with everyone from Seth Rogen to John Cena, Paul Rudd, Juan Collar Esposito, Rose Byrne, Jackie Chan. The, the list goes on and on here, and some of the characters that we're going to get inside of this as well. I did spoiler alert for maybe some surprises here, but I'm just looking at the cast list. And we've got everyone from Ray Filet being played by Post Malone, right through to Baxter Stockman, Mondo Gecko. This is really bringing in those aspects of the cartoons and even the action figures that I'm looking at here right to my left. So if you cannot tell, I'm excited. I'm very excited about this. August is my birthday month, and it looks like this is going to be dropping at some point in August, potentially early August is the rumor right here. So TMNT, guys, it is back, and it looks like it's coming back in a unique and fun way, which I am really digging. And with TMNT, always comes toys. Our next Toy Stream Live, we're going to talk about some of the toys associated with this new movie and to see if this is a line we're going to be jumping into, even if it's just a piece to commemorate the return of TMNT in animation. 
Now let's jump over to a galaxy far, far away. In just a couple of weeks, Star Wars Celebration is going to be landing in London. And with Star Wars Celebration always comes some very anticipated announcements, panels, and interviews with actors and actresses from across a galaxy far, far away. Now, one of the big things going on right now, of course, is The Mandalorian Season 3. I talked about Episode 1 last week. I am recording on Tuesday this week, so Episode 2 has not dropped, but I am so stoked for that being back. And if you go back one episode, you can hear all my early thoughts, my first reactions from The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 1, Chapter 17, I believe it was. But one thing I wanted to touch on and expand a bit out from that episode one and from really the whole Mandalorian series and the universe that both Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau have created in that post Return of the Jedi Disney Plus universe. Now Dave Filoni has been recently out discussing different aspects of the universe and in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter he was asked specifically about where was Grogu during the sequel trilogy. This is a question inside of these connected universes that us the fans and those of us that get really deep into the canon piece of it do start to ask. And I'm not usually too hung up on where was this character as long as the stories are being told well and they are acknowledging the bigger pieces of the story and not kind of stepping all over everything. The small things, the comics, these type of things are going to have to be worked around and on at some point in time. But I do think that the approach is to tell the best story and Dave Filoni had some great insights into this because when it comes to weaving in and out of existing stories this guy is the man because he of course worked on Clone Wars Matt weaves a lot of story 120 plus episodes in between two films that are relatively close together and so he discussed the aspect of there's a way to weave everything in and out of a relatively intricate set of canon and still make it exciting. The idea that the galaxy is absolutely enormous plays very well into the Star Wars framework in the sense that they could be telling these stories that don't necessarily have to reference everything that is going on. And I think that's where some of these stories really benefit, like the likes of Andor, even some of the pieces of Mandalorian here that leverage being outside of the Skywalker saga and play with some of the pieces of the Star Wars universe. So it's great that Dave Filoni is focused on that. And he has the ability and the experience to kind of weave these stories in and out of each other. We don't necessarily need to build to the sequel trilogy. We don't necessarily need to answer every single question. It's about feeling like you're inside of the universe. And I think The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 1, did that to perfection. Where it's not about the moments it's about the story inside of that universe and so it's great that Dave Filoni himself is out there explaining a bit of his methodology and bringing the stories to us and that will extend of course into Ahsoka here that we're anticipating to drop sometime inside of 2023. Now when talking about Star Wars and the upcoming celebration we can't ignore the fact that something is likely to be announced and there's a rumor that is swirling around about Star Wars Disney Plus shorts with Luke, Han, and Leia. Now, these are just rumors at this point, but the reason I wanted to touch on this is that both Marvel and Star Wars have leveraged de-aging technology to tell stories and bring in those actors that have well-aged out of those roles, have them reprise those roles with also a stand-in and do a lot of 
manipulation through CGI of the face to present these characters as if they were in that 20 to 30 range. And one of the rumors out there is that this Luke Han and Leia shorts will leverage that technology to bring us stories told directly after Return of the Jedi with the likeness of those characters extending as if they shot this directly after. It's the question I want to pose to you, the listeners out there. We've seen this technology used on Kurt Russell, Michael Douglas, and Robert Downey Jr. inside of the MCU, Mark Hamill even in The Mandalorian Season 2, where we got to see cameos of characters, this de-aging technology only used for a brief moment in time to accentuate and grab the audience and pull us a little bit further into those characters. And then you look at Sam Jackson and Robert De Niro. They use this technology for supporting roles and even main roles in the sense of Robert De Niro in The Irishman. We're going from cameos to supporting right up into your main characters. And then the final one up there is, of course, Carrie Fisher and her use inside of specifically Rogue One here. And also Tarkin being used in Rogue One as well where both of these actors, or actor and actress, had passed on, and they're recreating these characters. And so I often question, what is the limit of this de-aging tech? For the likes of Luke and Han, both Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill are still alive. But they are aging, of course. And so is it appropriate to use this technology to tell stories? Or do you just go simply with the recast, like they did with Alden Einreich, inside of Solo? And then the other question is, is bringing Leia back into the story? How far do you push this technology to tell these stories? Is it necessary to tell these stories with exact likenesses or as close as you can get with the technology available to us? It's really interesting, and I find myself going back and forth, is that I've liked it in the past when they've used in the MCU and Star Wars to give us that feel that this is a direct sequel to what we saw in the original Star Wars trilogies. It doesn't feel as adjacent as maybe even Alden Einreich, as good as he was in Solo. You knew that wasn't Harrison Ford. And he did a great job in that. But the other side of it is I look at these characters and what they're doing and what they could potentially do. And it does frighten me a little bit from a humanity standpoint as to if we need to push this any farther. And do we actually need these stories? Of course, I'm going to love them and I'm going to watch them if they do come out. But it's a bit of a head scratcher here and something that could push the limits of the ethics of doing this, especially to people that have passed on. Yes, I'm assuming they would always go out and get the permission from the families to include their likeness, and they would likely be compensated for such appearances. But it does call into question on the necessity to, one, continue to go back to the Skywalker saga, and two, bring in these legacy characters with their likenesses from the 1980s. And so I'd like to hear from you guys out there. Like, what are your thoughts on using this technology to continue to bring us stories and not just cameos or flashbacks? These are full stories using this technology. And we're going to see it in a major way with Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones 5. Again, likely a sequence and not the entire film of Harrison Ford from 1980, but it's likely to leverage at least a chunk of it, but in a similar fashion to what we've seen in these flashback sequences to kind of leverage and bridge a gap in a story. So do we need it, guys? Do we need it? All right, jumping over to the DC film universe, the next film that is going to drop 
is Shazam! Fury of the Gods dropping next week. March 17th is the release date on that. And some early projections for its box office put it on the low end for a superhero flick and a low end for all of the DC films, to be honest. They're projecting in that $30 to $40 million debut range for its opening weekend. Now, just for an immediate relative comparison, you have Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania that dropped to about $105 million just a couple of weeks ago. That was made on a $200 million budget. Shazam! Fury of the Gods does have only a $125 million budget, so there's a little bit less of a gap to close there. And the first film did debut to about $53 million. So we are trending towards the lower end of the debut when it comes to Shazam 2 and the expectation is generally that it will outperform at least in the opening weekend the original film. Now one thing that could change the tide here is just today we got our first set of reactions from the film and they are overwhelmingly positive. Now this seems to be a bit of a trend in the superhero space for the most part that the first reactions are very, very positive. But I'm going to take all of this and lean on the optimistic side that the reviews that are discussing the family dynamic, how it's fun, how it's entertaining, how it's bombastic, it's big, it feels much bigger than the first film. Let's run with that, guys. Let's run with that positivity into this and see this overperform those original low estimates. If you go even to this past weekend with Creed 3, they were projecting quite low on that, and that well overperformed their early estimates here. So these estimates are just that. They are estimates and aren't really a reflection of the quality of the movie. That is left for us, the viewer, to make our own opinions on, and we will be reviewing that movie in just a couple of weeks' time. So anticipating and highly anticipating that review. And I know Carlos is looking at this with fingers crossed and high hopes as it will heavily impact his box office fantasy team if Shazam! Fear of the Gods overperforms this relatively low estimate for its box office debut. Now, sticking with that box office thread and that narrative being spun around Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and its performance at the box office, it did debut a few weeks ago to a franchise high. When I say franchise, I mean inside of that Ant-Man world of $105 million. It did suffer a 69% drop in its second weekend, which is quite substantial, but not unusual for these mcu films it did though take a significant third week drop in the order of 60 plus percent bowing to the one-two punch of creed this past weekend but let's reframe ourselves around there's been a lot of discussion around these substantial drops most of these mcu films are quite front loaded and this 69% drop, yes, is likely close to a franchise high, but it's not out of the norm. If you look at the films that debuted over the last year or so, Thor Love and Thunder dropped almost 68%. No Way Home was almost identical to that, as well as Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And all of those films went on to make $800 plus million. Now, I'm not saying here that Ant-Man is going to go on to make $800 million. It's told domestic and global box office halls are likely to suffer from these big drops drops in its second and third week but one thing that i do want to frame a discussion around is the idea and argument that marvel is still appealing to its target audience those big opening weekends are telling a story that their built-in fan base which is substantial 
is still coming out to see those films. The flip side of that is there, and I'm one of these people, is that they and myself are not going back and seeing this a second and third time. So the longevity of the films itself seem to be suffering. And so that is cause, I wouldn't say for concern, but pause and reevaluation as to the necessity for these to have longer legs or these built and being built specifically for those MCU fans, a bit of the GA. Because if you look at it in a direct comparison to Ant-Man and Ant-Man the Wasp, Ant-Man opened to 57 million and Ant-Man the Wasp opened to 76 million. Quantumania opened up to 105 million. So you're seeing a step progression there. So you're seeing a continued and a greater engagement of the fan base for what you would consider a lower tier character. But this probably only doing in the range of 500 million might say that either there's a bit of waning of this fan base or the approach to watching MC movies have changed. It is about getting in, consuming, waiting for Disney Plus, and waiting for the next film that we're all anticipating within a couple of months. So I'm really curious to see where this all goes with some of the bigger films because these big drops are happening everywhere inside of the MCU. And does this speak to something greater? I think we're going to have to wait and see on all of this to see if we're looking at things like superhero fatigue, which was covered in great detail on the Vigilante 1939 podcast. So go over and check that conversation out. My brother's over there just breaking it down in a lot of detail and having a, a pretty robust discussion around that concept of film and superhero fatigue. Feeling overtired? Me too. But did you know that overtired isn't just a common feeling that we all have? It's also a podcast. It's a podcast that covers an eclectic range of topics in the most real, raw way possible. Christina, Brent, and Jeff have got you covered on almost everything as they chat each week about things like tech and programming, mental health, music, great apps for your iOS, Mac, and Windows. And they also managed to sneak in the odd reference to Taylor Swift. Follow their personal life journal, get some great advice, recommendations, and have a laugh along the way. If you add any new podcasts to your must-listen list, this is it. Find Overtired wherever you listen to podcasts or over at overtiredpod.com. Now, we're looking at the concept of the MCU in the wake of Ant-Man and the Wasp, but also bigger shakeups happening inside of Disney's organizational structure. So a couple months back, Bob number two, Bob Chapek, was ousted as the CEO of Disney. And Bob Iger, Bob number one, has returned as the CEO of Walt Disney Company. And in that, we are likely to see somewhat of a pivot and a shift inside of the MCU. Now, I don't think some of this stuff that I'm going to talk about here is a direct result of any of the results coming out of Ant-Man and the Wasp. This is stuff that was talked about prior to its release, but likely can be read as a course correction for the MCU in the sense that I think we could all, without much argument, say that phase four was probably the weakest of the three phases or the four phases that have been produced by Marvel Studios. Now, one immediate change that we are seeing as a result of, I think, Iger coming in and Kevin Feige taking stock of his universe is the overall slowing of the pace of the MCU. Now, right before the release of Quantum Mania, Kevin Feige said that the MCU was going to be slowing down its development on some of its projects. Now, this seems to be a shift of prioritizing away from quantity over quality that was seen 
under the tenure of Bob Chapek. Bob Chapek put a lot of focus on building Disney+. Plus. This was his legacy that he was going to leave behind at Disney. And if you look at where Chapek was appointed, it does somewhat coincide with Phase 4, which saw a massive increase in volume of content, both on Disney+, Plus and on the film side of things when it comes to releases. Now, this reprioritization of quality is part of what Bob Iger called a better curated universe for both Disney and Marvel Studios. And how this is likely to impact the MCU is we're likely to see a lot of the shows that were originally meant to drop inside of 2023, like Echo, Ironheart, Agatha, Covenant Chaos, potentially being pushed back into 2024 and spread out across a longer span of time. The only Disney Plus series that are now being guaranteed to drop inside of 2023 are Loki Season 2 and Secret Invasion. This refocusing of the concentration on quality and putting a new lens on release volume and release spacing, I think is going to give the MCU the room it needs to breathe. It could mean that we have to wait out till maybe even 2027 to see Secret Wars. But there does seem to be a concerted effort by both Bob Iger and Kevin Feige to take the foot off the pedal, apply it to the brake a little bit here, and slow down the MCU. I think we can agree universally that it is going too fast. And I think the net effect of quantity has hurt the MCU to a degree. I still think the MCU is cooking and it is doing very well. And it's got that engaged audience as we saw from the first weekend of Quantum Mania. But a big step back, a deep breath, is going to highly benefit the product going forward. It is going to release pressure on the VFX studios. It is going to release pressure on the constant release and the thank you next approach to film consumption that the GA and even myself has. It's let's watch one, what's the next thing coming? We need time to digest these things, appreciate these things, and engage in this conversation a bit more. I think that's what made phases one through three special was the level of engagement. We had to wait for things to a degree. We weren't getting a show every other month. We weren't getting a movie every other month. But this spread this out. We're even seeing this in Star Wars. They've taken a huge break from their initial blitz of releases where we could slap Star Wars on anything and it will sell. We found out and they found out very quickly that that is not the case. They stepped back and have reformed inside of Disney+. And there's still that anticipation as to when they're going to return to the big screen. But Bob Iker here is slowing down the pace of not only the MCU, but likely Star Wars here. Quality over quantity. I'm a big Bob Iger fan. I loved his book and his approach to what he's doing with Disney. And I have these concepts and ideas formulating in my head as to how he could potentially save the MCU from itself. And the audience is getting tired of either not being in the loop or not having time to consume everything. So going back to three big films a year, potentially two, maybe three shows a year is a very welcome change for me. And they even started to show signs of this inside of 2023 with the shifting of the release date of the Marvels. This is the Captain Marvel sequel that was originally meant to drop on July 28th that is now going to be hitting theaters on November 10th, 2023. Now, usually the alarm bells go up, the red flags go up, when a movie is delayed, there's problems with production. There's issues with the CGI. The story isn't good. The film itself isn't good. 
And those things could potentially all be on the table here. But I do have confidence in this movie. So much so I took it as my second pick overall in the Nerd Room box office fantasy pool. But getting back to something that is actually real here. This film is going to bring together Carol Danvers, Monica Rambeau, and Camilla Khan, also known as Miss Marvel, from that Miss Marvel TV show. So the first one to really leap in a substantial way up and into the film universe. Now, this is a big delay, but what it does, it does a few things here. And I'm going to speculate on the positive side. This gives Disney a big Q4 release. At this point in time, or before this movie was being shifted out to November, Disney didn't have a major release at the end of the year. So that's important for them. There's this relationship to Secret Invasion. Because both Captain Marvel and Secret Invasion were initially rumored to have Super Bowl trailers. And neither of them were present. So that was a little bit of a head-scratcher for a lot of us. Why aren't they promoting the Marvels if it's meant to come out in July? Why aren't they promoting Secret Invasion, the Disney Plus TV show, if it's meant to come out imminently? It looks like both of those have been rejigged here. And maybe Secret Invasion itself has a stronger and more intimate tie or tangible tie to Captain Marvel. And that's why we're seeing all these delays. Maybe Captain Marvel has to come out after Secret Invasion. Maybe there's some build there, given the connective tissues to the original Captain Marvel, the Skrulls, and Nick Fury, who all are major players inside of the Secret Invasion TV show. We could also look about optimization of releases in two aspects. One, getting away from summer competition. The Marvel sitting in between Barbie and Oppenheimer, not a great place for this, especially considering what we just talked about with these massive drop-offs. If you stick in to substantial summer movies on either side of the Marvels, that 70% drop we saw with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that record might not be held by Quantumania very long. It may then fall directly to the Marvels. And so stepping away from some of those big films into November release date, which is a common release date for MCU films. This also gives us a nice spreading out and going back to what we were just talking about with regards to the slowing down of the pace of the MCU. This now spreads out the MCU films into six-month intervals, where originally there was a 10-month gap between the Marvels and I believe it's Captain America 4 that drops in May of 2024. This now gives us just a six-month gap there. It gives us a six-month gap roughly between Quantumania and and the Marvels. I keep wanting to say Captain Marvel here. But I think this is all good news for the Marvels. This gives them time to promote. This gives them time to finish up if there is CGI issues. It gives the VFX houses a little bit more time to put a little polish, crisp at the edge of some of the what is likely high volume of CGI being used in this film. If they got to tweak something at the end here, by all means, they've given themselves that space. And so I am seeing all of this coming together in a relatively understandable fashion. And I'm happy to see that the MCU is slowing down just a little bit here. But this whole MCU thing is really building to something bigger. Our first Avengers film after Endgame is going to be, of course, Avengers Kang Dynasty. And the writer of that is Jeff Loveness. He wrote Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. You can draw your own conclusions from that. There has been some skepticism. There has been some conjecture and worry online with regards to him writing the next Avengers film. But at this point in time, with the concentration refocusing to quality and lots of checks and balances, I do believe that Kang Dynasty will put its best foot forward 
with Jeff Loveness scribing that, writing that. And he had an extensive interview over on the Phase Zero podcast. It's a great interview. And he talks about the consequences and effects on him personally with regards to all the reviews and the not-so-favorable reception of Ant-Man and the Wasp and how that does or isn't affecting his writing of Kang Dynasty. But one thing that I wanted to bring to the table here that jumped out at me was he made a comment regarding X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Now, these are two big franchises that the MCU now have direct control over those IPs. So they're able to use these inside of their film universes after the purchase of 20th Century Fox by Disney a couple of years ago. Now, the X-Men and Fantastic Four are going to take some time to develop and bring to the big screen. We are getting that Fantastic Four movie, I believe, in 2024 or 2025. So that is coming. The X-Men has not been a word about them other than the fact that they are coming. And there's some big, big stories being told right now. And it's hard to see where the X-Men and even maybe the Fantastic Four fit into this. But Jeff Loveness did bring some insight into this. And given he is the man that is writing Kang Dynasty, it's only fitting that he would know what characters are going to be present or at least having a major impact on that film. And he said directly after being asked if we would see X-Men and Fantastic Four come to help the Avengers inside of Kang Dynasty. He kind of said, no, I think that stuff's pretty far off in relation to when we're going to see specifically the X-Men. And he said he knows that they're making a Fantastic Four, but that's its own thing. And he also states that although being an X-Men guy, he thinks that they are being saved for something into the future. This is about the Avengers. And so it's going to be interesting to see if that holds up, if he's playing coy with the writing, and if we're actually going to see the X-Men and Fantastic Four play a role in Kang Dynasty, or if we're going to have to wait until Secret Wars. Are we going to have to wait till even after that? Because lots of rumors going around that a good chunk of Phase 6 is going to be on War World. So it's going to be happening in some of an alternate universe or an amalgam universe outside of the mainstream MCU 616, as has been dubbed, universe, the big film universe there. So very interesting to hear him detail out some of the concepts and some of his thought process about who he's including in what is meant to be a huge follow-up inside of this Avengers series. We're going to have to wait on the order of five to six potential years before getting another Avengers film. And that, that's quite a while, and I'm glad it's out that far. But it's going to be interesting to see how all this develops, especially in the wake of the portrayal of Kang instead of Quantum Mania. You guys know my opinion if you've listened to this in the past, but... Let's see where they go with Kang Dynasty. The last thing I'm going to cover is just a fun little piece here from inside of the MCU. And it is the reveal that Rogers the Musical. That's that musical we saw at the start of Hawkeye, the Disney Plus series. It was probably meant to be a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it got a good enough reception that Disney, and never want to shy away from any sort of marketing opportunity, they are going full force by bringing Rogers the Musical to their California Adventures Park in Disneyland this summer. It's going to kind of expand on that single song that we saw in the Hawkeye and do a short one-act musical around that. Now, you can laugh, you can make fun, but I can tell you one thing. If I happen to cross paths with this show and it's what is meant to be likely a limited run inside of California Adventures... You know I'm going to be there. Come on. 
you can you can say what you want about it, but the short tease they showed with Peggy Carter heading into that theater for Rogers the Musical, I'm there for it. You know what? I could do this all day. So there it is, guys. That is your rundown from this week in Nerd. I hope you've enjoyed your time here, bridging that gap and jumping into the deep side of Nerd. And I look forward to coming back in the subsequent weeks here and talking to you guys and really ironing out what this podcast is going to evolve into. If you listened to last week's episode, you would have heard some of the changes, some of the history of the Nerd Room, and a bit of the uncertain future with regards to how the episodes are going to be laid out, how they're going to be constructed. And so I want to continue, like I said in there, with this concept of being able to bridge the gap between a single experience, a film-watching experience, and being part of a more immersive fan base, more immersive fandom. And so I want to do the work here so that you guys can jump over and dive into the deep end of nerd. And so stay with me on this journey, guys. Things are inevitably going to change. I have some ideas for some more focused storytelling podcasts. I have some ideas of just keeping pace with the news. We're going to, of course, be bringing Ian in for reviews and maybe some special guests for specific topics like Star Wars, DC, Marvel, and just ultimately going to have fun with it here. I thoroughly enjoy podcasting. I thoroughly enjoy sharing these experiences with all you guys out there. And I appreciate you guys coming and joining me every single week. So if you'd like to get a hold of anything we do in the Nerd Room, my handles are at the end of the episode. You can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net. And go subscribe to that YouTube channel. We've got some live streams, some toy streams coming up here in the not-too-distant future. We've got some more videos from Ian that will be dropping. And so that content pace is going to pick up as we find our footing here inside of the new era of the nerd room and so with all that being said guys thank you very much for joining me this week i hope you have a wonderful weekend i will be off in las vegas so i will catch you guys next week and thank you so much for entering the nerd room this has been a nerd room podcast production you can find our hosts tim and carlos on twitter at the nerd rm and cdn caped crusade r for more content from The Nerd Room, check out the nerdroom.net and the Nerd Room YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room.